Good morning. Haven't seen some of you in a while. It's good to see you after a bit of a break. Um, today I'm going to be talking about um, sacred companions. <laughs> um, sacred companions, a gift of spiritual friendship. Uh, I just want you to know, I, I'm actually getting tired and weary of preaching on community. Because I think what we mean in church by community is not what scripture means by community. We have this diluted thing of, you know, Christians love, oh, we're in community. No, we're not doing community. We're not in community. So I want to talk to you about sacred companions or what scripture talks about spiritual friendship. Um, but before we do that, it is uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., holiday weekend and uh, just if you're new to our church we don't do this big on Sunday you know celebrating Dr. King and what he's done because I think it's really lame when churches do that and then for the rest of the year don't talk about it at all so we don't do that at new community we don't do the whole wow on Sunday and then we actually try to talk about what he cared about throughout the year. So we talk about throughout the year what it means to be people that advocate for justice. We talk throughout the year about what it means to be followers of Jesus who care for, stand up, and speak out against injustice and oppression. And for those who are poor and marginalized, we try as a church throughout the year to follow in the way and the footsteps of our Savior who cared about the poor, the least, and marginalized. But as I thought about this weekend, though, and as I thought about what it would mean for us, particularly trying to tie to today, I, talked, I, I thought about solidarity. I, talked, I thought about the importance of solidarity and why solidarity is so critical to the work of justice. But in particular, I thought about solidarity and the litmus test of solidarity. That is, that we stand with and stand close to those who are experiencing injustice, oppression. And I thought about solidarity, and you guys know, we talked about this, the litmus test of whether we are in solidarity with those who are hurting is if we're standing close to someone who is hurting and experiencing injustice, some of what hits them ought to hit us too. If you're truly standing next to and with, in solidarity with those who are experiencing injustice, oppression, what hits them I'd hit you too. So that means if what is hitting them is not hitting us, maybe we're just not standing close enough. Maybe for some of us with issues of justice and reconciliation, it's a small group discussion. It's listening to a sermon or preaching a sermon. Maybe it's in the realm of theory. Maybe it's in the realm, you know, of ideals, but it never gets real. So question for us as we celebrate this weekend is this. Are you standing in solidarity? If you are, are you getting hit by some of the things that are hitting them? And if you're not getting hit by some of the things that are hitting them, maybe you're not standing close enough. Maybe this is just a discussion for you. So with that, let's move on and talk about sacred companions. Because sacred companions... The gift of spiritual friendship, I think, is at the heart of what solidarity is and what community is. 
And there's a brief story in the life of Jesus. It's not a primary text where we see the importance of sacred companions. And you might be familiar with this story. Mark chapter 2, verse 1, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come from home. Come home. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, uh, Dan, I'm talking to you. But Dan, I found out a month ago that I need reading glasses, brother. <laughs> uh, again, I don't know why I'm talking to you about that. I could easily pick on one of these guys. I, yeah. I, so when I stumble over words because I can't see it. And it's embarrassing, right? So I need, uh, I need reading glasses. I don't know why I share that with you. Okay. No, I don't need your reading glasses. Sit down, man. Come on, brother. Good Lord, man. Come on. Okay. Uh, verse 2. So many gather that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Verse 3. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him, in, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now there's a number of ways that this passage is preached. And again, I just bring this to highlight this question. Do you have at least four people in your life that because of the investment that you've made in their lives, that if you were paralyzed, that if you could not get to that place that you needed to on your own, that they would get you there? Do you have people who value you so highly because of, and this is key, we're going to talk about what this means, because you've invested in them. And I want to be absolutely clear, investing in them isn't just about getting together over a meal or for coffee, hang out, small group, community. You've invested in them. They value so highly that if you needed someone to carry you, can you name them? Can you name them this morning? See, the people you and I invest in today will be the people that were invested in you tomorrow. And by the way, if any of you sitting here going, I don't need anybody, you actually will get to prove it later. If you say, I don't need anybody, you will, I promise you, get to prove that later. Do you have people in your life right now that you are investing in? And no, don't turn to your spouse. We'll talk about that later. I'm talking about friends, close friends that you've invested in. Slow down if you have to and journey with them. An African proverb that I love. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Go together. Adjust your pace if you have to. A life well lived isn't about who goes the fastest. It's about who has the most people walking with him. 
Can you name four people that you've invested in? Who value you so? I, I, I just, I'm getting, as I get older, you know what I'm realizing? A life well lived isn't about how much money is in the bank. A life well lived isn't about how much success you have. A life well lived is people you've invested in, people you've cared for, people you love, and people who love you in return. I'm telling you. I know right now for some of you it's career, goal, success. I'm telling you, at the end of the day when it's all said and done, I've yet to hear someone on their deathbed go, I wish I had more money. I wish I had a better job. I wish I did more to accomplish in my life. But I've heard plenty of people say, I wish I would have spent more time with my family, with my friends. So here we are, two weeks into this year. Do you have a goal this year to go, who am I going to invest in? Like invest in. Again, we'll talk about what that means. Or are you off and running? See, here's a guarantee in life. This, this year, you were going to, Buki said, storms, trials. And you can't survive without friends. Can I get an amen? You will not be able to survive without close friends. I am telling you. I am telling you. You will not be able to survive. Make it without close friends. And by the way, and you've heard me say this before, if you don't have those friendships built in now, by the time you're in trouble, it's too late. It's like breathing air. Nobody appreciates air until you're underwater. You will not appreciate your friends until you're emotionally under. That's when you go, friends. What about marriage, Peter? Oh, guys, it's your friendship in the marriage that sustains you through the hard times. Not the erotic, sexual stuff. Married couples, can I get an amen? It's your friendship. Don't be naive. Do you have four people? Do you have three? Do you have two? Can you name one? You see why I'm already, you could tell, I'm not talking about community and small, because we could be in small groups and mistake it for community. It, It ain't community. Can we be honest here? You could be in community and think that you're doing, you're not doing life just because you have a group of people you meet once a week with. What? No, we're talking about sacred companions, biblical friendship. Okay, so four questions and then I sit down, okay? Four questions, and that's kind of the truth. So first question is, so why is this neglected? Why is friendship neglected? Why do you think it's over? You don't need to take notes, by the way. Some of you are so funny. Like, why is it neglected? <laughs> you don't need to do that, okay? First of all, it's on video. It's on podcast. And secondly, if you're taking notes, take notes on stuff that really resonates with you, Okay? Just a note-taking tip. Why is it neglected? Uh, I think there's like four or five things. There's more, but I need to be quick. I need to be quick because this is, first of all, it's not imposed on you. Friendship is not imposed on you. Well, what do you mean by that? Can you think about, there are certain relationships, certain kinds of relationships that impose themselves on you. For example, and, and because they impose themselves on you, they get priority. For example, biological drive. What do I mean? Uh, Nobody's sitting around here thinking, you know, it'd be really nice to be, like, sexually attracted to somebody. I think I need to try. What does that even mean, right? Yeah. You don't try. 
There's this biological, and by the way, in our culture, this is, this is all we care about. Do you ever go to the grocery store and on those mag- the stupid us and people and star and National Enquirer? But if you go, how do you know that stuff? Don't I don't know how I know that stuff. I go grocery shopping. That's how I know. Do you ever see plastered on the front cover in bold, who's friends with who? No. Who's sleeping with who? That's what we care about. Who's friends with who? Who cares? But who's sleeping with who? That I want to know. Quick, quiz. Name a song. A top 10 song in the history of whatever. 40 years of Billboard charts. That was about friendship. You got a friend of me. Carlos. You got a friend of Carlos. You got a friend of Carlos. Did you see my eyes roll? Quick. Name a movie, a blockbuster movie about not romance, but about friendship. Beaches. This is so funny. It's so funny. You guys are so funny. Can you just play along? Just play along. Is that so hard? Just play along. I'm trying to make a point. No, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, think about, think about what we, think about what we do in our culture. Think about Hollywood. Think about the one book that was about friendship. Lord of the Rings. The center of it all is friendship. But what do, what does Hollywood do? Hollywood puts at the smack center of it, what? Romance. Why? Well, why culture wouldn't be interested in a movie about friendship? I mean, I could go on and on and on. The reality is our culture doesn't. Secondly, in more traditional Eastern cultures, not just biological, but there's a sociological drive. What do I mean? Family and family obligations, duty come first, right? You call your mom. You call your brother and sister. Why? Because you want to? No. You do that because what? Bad things happen if you don't. Sociologically, there's duty, there's obligation. It imposes itself on you. Friendship doesn't. Think with me. Friendship doesn't impose itself on you. There isn't just an innate drive. So you know what we do? It gets marginalized. It takes enormous amount of intentionally effort, time. So it gets marginalized. Which, by the way, gets to number two. And I need to be quick. It takes time. That's why we neglect it. In an incredibly busy culture like ours, uh, a culture like ours, something that just naturally happens, something that takes time, intentionality, effort. When we're so busy working, when we travel so much, it gets pushed to the margins. It's not a priority. It gets pushed to the margins. Nobody in here said, I fell into friendship. I dare you somebody to go home and post on your Facebook. Guess what? Hashtag, I fell into friendship. Your friends will be like, what? Nobody falls into friendship. We what? Fall in love. Why? It takes time. Third, we're impatient. The kind of friendship the Bible talks about takes time and takes a lot of patience. Because it's what? Hard work. But what do we do? We go, it's so hard. Why can't it just work organically? And I want to go... How can you be so naive? Is anything involving sinful, selfish, self-absorbed, insecure human beings easy? 
Does any of that come easily? And by the way, when you're in a church like ours, where you're surrounded by people who are different from you, racially, ethnically, culturally, sociologically, educationally, it takes even longer to work through stuff to become friends. So many of us sit there and go, ah, it's just too hard. Of course it is. You need to be patient. Time. Fourth, we live in the most mobile culture ever. This thing can only happen if you're in one place over a time, patiently working through it. But you know what we do? We go, every two, three years, I'm going to move. Why? New job. New... By the way, if every two, three years, you're willing to move for your career, just be honest and say, my career is more important than relationships. Just be honest. Don't do the whole, no, but I care about the... Where are you going? New job? Oh. Where are you going? New... And then lastly, and I need to be quick about this, we live in a culture of fear. Do you know why I say that? I did this speaking gig on Friday night for a bunch of singles, and I shared with them. I said, do you realize that we live in a culture of fear, and when you live in a culture of fear, it makes vulnerability next to impossible. And here's what you need to know and I need to know. I don't know you, but I know this about you. Every single one of us in here, we have a desire to be fully known and to be fully loved without fear of rejection. I don't need to know you. I know this about you. But in a culture of fear, here we do. We go, I could either be loved or I could either be known, but not both at the same time. So in a culture of fear, we go, I'm going to hide. I'm going to show parts of you, but not all of I'm going to show me, you parts of me, but not all of me. Why? Because if I show you all of me, I'm afraid that you might run. So I'm going to hide. But the problem with hiding is if you're not fully known, you'll never be fully loved. If you're sitting there going, would you really love me if I showed you all of me? So I'm going to show you parts of me. They can go, I love you. Deep down inside, you're going, but you don't know this about me. You don't know this about me. You don't know this about me. Would you love me if you did? Culture of fear. I could list 20 more, but do you see why it's neglected? Do you see why it's hard? Do you see why we settle for pseudo-community? Second question. Why is this important? By the way, do I really need to talk about why it's important? Do you not innately, intuitively go, move along, Peter. I know I... Okay, give me like two minutes. I tell you why it's important. It's part of your design. It's how you're created. Genesis chapter 2, where we see God saying, verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Realize up to now that everything God has created, hi there up in balcony, everything God has created up until now, God goes, it is good. It is good. It is good. Then, whoop, full stop. God says, it is not good. In paradise and perfection, God has the audacity to say, something is not right. What is that? He is alone. Realize what this means. Realize the radical implications. Adam has everything. All pleasure on earth. He has the best food. He has, the be- he has everything. He also has the best spiritual life. The guy walked with God. The guy walked with God. He has an unbelievable prayer life. He has an unbelievable devotional life. And yet, he's still unhappy. Why? He is alone. Jonathan Edwards in a sermon on envy said that 
How incredible is it that in perfection paradise, God says it is not good for him to be alone. Why? Not because he's imperfect, but because he's perfect. It's part of his design. Do you know what the implications of this are? Solomon, the wisest king who ever lived, who also was one of the wealthiest ever to live, who enjoyed everything under the sun, said this, In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 7. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. And that word brother means friendship. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depraving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. He is a person who has put personal ambition over everything else. So here's a guy, and I'm talking to some of you who's made partner. He is a guy who's become CEO. Here's a guy who's at the pinnacle of his career, and he looks around and he goes, I still feel empty. Life still is meaningless. He has everything that his culture and peers are saying to him. This is the pinnacle of what it means to have life. And he says, I got to that. And to the horror of my own experience, I recognize it's not enough. How much more clearly can the Bible say that paradise isn't paradise without friendship? How much clearly can the Bible say without friendship, all of this stuff is meaningless? Why? Because you can't escape your design. So I'm going to ask you like 10 more times, who are the four people? Who are the four people? Who are the four people? And if you're feeling like, oh, you know what? I, I, I sometimes feel weak. Like I'm not strong because there's a lie in the Christian community that says strong Christians don't need community. And I want to go, where do we get that from? Where do we get this idea that if you're a strong Christian that you don't need anybody else? God doesn't even think that. Third question, how do you then make friends? This is where I want to spend the majority of the time, okay? See, the thing is, as I was preparing this sermon, I go... As I was typing it, I was like, how do you make friends? I'm like, this sounds so stupid. How do you make But then I realized, I'm terrible at this. Can I, can I just get an admission? Is anybody else struggle with this? Say amen. And by the way, when, when, when we look at, by the way, and we're going to spend bulk of our time through the book of Proverbs, various words in Proverbs. The, the book in Proverbs says that there are four marks, four marks. This is when you can begin to take notes, okay? Four marks of spiritual friendship. Four marks. And I want you to do this with me, okay? Two things. One, you could look at them as evaluative guide. You, what do I mean? Some of you will need to go home today and you're going to need to unfriend some people. Some of you need to go home today and you need to think about how you are going to have that conversation with that friend and say, we're not going to be the kind of friend the Bible talks about. And I know that sounds harsh, right? Like, well, that's, No, no, no. You'll see why in a moment. Evaluative guy. You're going to need to evaluate your friends and go, are they people that can go on this journey of sacred companionship with me? For real, for real. And by the way, for some of us, can we just be honest? Our greatest barrier is going to be our insecurity, isn't it? 
Like, I don't know if I can do. Why? Because I like feeling wanted. I like feeling needed. I like feel, you know. Can I just give you a key, uh, a clue? So, you know, you know when, like, you're alone and feeling lonely, you find, like, ten people to text? Hi, 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 hi. And you wait. Ding! <sighs> Some of those people will need to go. Secondly, it's also the kinds of things that you will want to go to current friends with and go, will you go on this journey with me? Can we be this kind of friend? Okay? So there's four things. First is constancy. Constancy. Marks of sacred companions. Constancy. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 24 I'm just going to read on screen because it's much easier to read. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, guys, 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 listen, listen. Pay attention to the contrast. A man of what? Many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. First, notice the contrast. You could have many companions... But a friend. What's it getting at? You can't have too many sacred companions. You will not be able to have too many sacred, and we'll see why, sacred companions. Are you listening? Vast majority of our friends right now are companions, and you'll see why. And not a whole lot of them are friends. Because you can't have too many friends. Immediately we see why. The word sticks, as in sticks closer than a brother's evil word, that's often translated in the Old Testament, cleave, which is another word for what? For those of you that are married, you know what cleave means, right? It means what? Covenant. Covenant. Covenant is a committed relationship out of love. A committed relationship out of love. A covenantal relationship is one in which you are so committed to that relationship that you will do whatever it takes to make sure that that friend does not go to ruin regardless of what it costs me. A covenantal relationship, a sacred companion, a friend is once you are so committed to that relationship that you'll go, you'll go to the mat. You'll do whatever it takes to make sure that the friend doesn't go to ruin regardless of what it costs you. Now, why is this so hard in our culture? Because we live in a consumeristic culture. And our relationships tend to be consumeristic. I have news for you. Most of the people that know you know you because you're useful to them. And if you get all bent out of... Most people that you know, you know, because they're useful to you. And it doesn't have to be all like, think about our work friends. They're useful to you. People that you socialize with, they're useful. People you hang out with, they're useful. A consumeristic relationship, though, is one in which you say to a vendor, as long as you keep meeting my needs, I'll be here. I'm sticking around. But as soon as I get an upgrade, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. 
A consumerist relationship says, if I get a better deal out with that carrier, then I'm out. So I'm constantly looking for an upgrade. The centerpiece of a consumerist relationship is me and my needs. A covenant relationship, though, is totally opposite. It's not, hey, you adjust to me, and as long as you adjust to me, I'm here. It's no, I'll adjust to you. Why? My needs are not primary. This relationship is. Okay, let me just break this up. What's the difference between a companion and a friend? A companion says this, hey, if and when I have time, we'll hang out. A friend says, I will make time. Because you're a priority. A companion says, if and when I feel like it, if and when it's convenient, I'm here for you. A friend says, regardless of how I feel. Regardless of if it's convenient or inconvenient, I am here for you. And this one gets to me all the time. When you're going through a hard time, when your life is sinking, when you feel like your life is falling apart, companions will go, hey, call me if you need something. A friend, I realize, doesn't say, hey, call me if you need something. They already know what you need. Not because they're mind readers, but because you've let them in and they've let you in. Can I ask you something? Do you have friends like that? Do you have friends that are saying, not, hey, if and when I have time, you know, we'll hang. No, they're sitting going, when I plan out my calendar, before I do all the, first thing is I make time for you and us. Do you have, by the way, if you're sitting here going, oh, our marriage could use some of this. What I'm talking about actually is foundation to what marriage is too, isn't it? If you, do you have friends that are saying, not if and when I'm convenient, comfortable. They're saying, no, 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 regardless of how I feel. I'm not feeling good right now. But see, it's not about my needs. I'm not feeling all there right now. I'm not, it's not convenient right now. No. But Regardless, I'm here for you. Do you have friends that are saying, I'll go to the mat, I'll go to the mat for you, regardless of what it costs me, because I will not let you go to ruin. Do you know what that does, by the way? Hey, church, do you know what that does, that kind of friendship? It builds what? Trust. And do you know what trust does? When you have friendships that are saying, regardless of, I'm here, I'm committed to you. I, when you have a covenant, do you know what that does? It builds trust. And you know what trust does? Trust enables you to be you, all of you, freely you, honest you. There's a zone of safety in that kind of a friendship. There's a zone of safety in a friendship where someone said, I'm here, I'm committed to you. I'm not going anywhere. And you could finally, in that friendship, oh, I don't have to wear this mask. No, I don't have to pretend. No, you don't have to pretend. Just be fully you. And every single one of us in this room wants to be known like that by somebody. Do you have friends like that? Men. Women too, but men. It's unbelievable to me how we, me, we stink at this. And nobody calls you out. I'm calling you out this morning. Do you have friends like this? Second characteristic is empathy. Empathy. What do I mean by empathy? 
Emotional investment. Emotional connection. Proverbs 28 verse 18 describes a companion. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, ha, 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 I was just kidding. Do you have people in your life who have absolutely no clue, no clue as to your inner state that they're like, ha, ha, I was just kidding. And you're going, that wasn't funny. That was hurtful. Here's another. Proverbs 25, 20. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day. I love Proverbs because of the imagery, don't you? <laughs> like one who takes away garment on a cold day or like a vinegar poured on a wound is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Song means a song of joy. This is somebody who's singing a song of joy in the presence of someone who's grieving. How clueless do you have to be to who that person is, how they are, to sing songs of joy when they're grieving. Do you know what this means? That means if you could sing songs of joy when I'm grieving, I'm not your friend. You're not my friend. If I have no idea of how you're feeling and doing emotionally, so that I say something like, oh, I was just kidding. Was that hurtful? Sorry. Then you're not my friend. I'm not your friend. Now compare this to what happens to a parent. Do you know what happens when you're a parent? You get emotionally bonded, inextricably bound to your child, whether you want to or not. Parents, can I get an amen? It's the worst thing in the world. It is. It's the worst thing in the world. When they're sad, you're sad. And I'm like, I'm bound to the emotional state of being for a, to a four-year-old. He is emotionally. And I'm like, when you're sad, I am sad. And he's sad because he can't watch a stupid TV show. I'm like, God, Lord. And when they're happy, you're happy. And you don't voluntarily do this. It's just bound. It happens automatically. No parents, I know they're bad parents, and I know some of us is painful. They're like, that was my dad. That was my mom. They were totally, I know that. But for a lot of parents, you can't sing songs of joy when your child is grieving. But here's the amazing, scary thing about sacred companions. Is that you don't give the gift of emotional investment involuntarily automatically. You choose to do it. You choose to do this and enter into it. You willingly say to another human being, I will be so emotionally invested in you that when you're weeping, that if your life is falling apart, I can't be happy. Do you have friends like that? Paul gets to this in Romans chapter 12. See, see, I love this passage because it's both challenging and encouraging. Rejoice. Say this with me. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those. See, friends can't sing when you're in mourning. They can't go about their normal lives when you're collapsing. Everybody, can you look up here for a second? Do you see why you can't have too many of these friends? You literally emotionally can't be invested like this to a thousand friends. You cannot emotionally invest like this to a large number of people without it becoming toxic, codependent, dysfunctional, emotionally unhealthy. 
It's costly to be a friend. And by the way, I love the order of that. Why? Because before you get to moment, it says rejoice with those who rejoice. To me, this is one of the true tests of biblical friendship, and that is what? You're able to rejoice with those who rejoice, meaning like you're actually happier for them when good things happen than you would be for yourself. You're actually, like there's not even a trace of envy or jealousy. By the way, this is when I see husbands and wives that compete. I go, that's unhealthy. Why are you trying to outdo each other? Why are you not celebrating the success of your spouse, your best friend, more than if it happened to you? I was going to say ladies, but guys too. When, when, one of you, when one of your friends gets engaged or married, is the first response, yes! Or is the first response, why not me? What's wrong? I can go on and on, but you, emotion investment. Two more. Okay, two more. I sense you getting restless. So I'm going to have two more real quick. Third is, speaks the truth in love. Oh, Tim White, you're going to like this one. <laughs> and for those who know Tim White, they're laughing right now. By the way, I try to find the cute, you know, I'm a preacher, so it's, you know, first is constancy, then empathy, then I, truthy. I actually Google truthy. I'm like, is that a word? <laughs> so dumb. I can't find one word, so here it is. Speaks truth and love, okay? I can't find one word for it, all right? Can I just say something? What is this thing in the church, this lie that says you can't speak truth? That's the, what, you guys, guys, what, what is this thing in the church that says you can't speak truth? You can't speak truth? That's judgmental. That's hypocritical. And you, of course you have to do it in love. Speaking truth without love is spiritually deadly. Speaking truth without love, speaking truth without any regard for their soul is spiritually deadly. But it is also spiritually deadly to love without speaking truth. It is spiritually deadly to say, I love them without speaking truth to them. Proverbs again, chapter 27, verse 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The metaphors are absolutely beautiful, and they're paradoxical. It's literally saying, as you look at your relationships right now, you are either, check this out, giving friendly wounds or enemies kisses. You're either giving friendly wounds or enemies kisses. We could fool ourselves into thinking that we love our friends when in fact, by the way, when you think of enemy kisses, what comes to mind? Judas, betraying with a kiss. Proverbs is actually saying that you could be loving towards your friend when you could actually be betraying them. Well, how does it work, Peter? Friendly wounds. What are friendly wounds? Friendly wounds are words that your friend needs to hear, but it's going to be painful for them to hear it. But because you care, listen, more about your friend, please listen, then you care about maintaining the friendship, you will speak truth to them. I'm just going to say this right here. All of us in this room have people in our lives who care more about maintaining the friendship than they do about you as a friend. And they will never ever speak truth to you. And they will go in the name of love. That's why it's hidden love. In the name of love. I love them too much to speak truth to them. No, what you're saying is, I love myself too much to have to go through the consequences and the pain of what might happen 
to be speaking truth to them. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 5. Whoever flatters his neighbor, that's what some of us are doing, is spreading a net for his feet. And what it's saying is if you don't tell your friend the truth that they need so they get an accurate view of who they are, accurate view of what they are, their strength, as well as their weaknesses, it's like you're taking their feet and putting it in a bear's trap. It's like you're setting them up for a disastrous life because nobody had the courage and love to speak truth to them. Do you have people in your life that are speaking truth and love to you? Do you have people in your life that because they love you, they're giving you what you need? Every single one of us in here, can I say this? We need friends who by speaking truth to us has nothing to lose. Can I say that again? Every single one of us in this room needs friends who will speak truth to us because their perspective is, I love you, but I'm willing to lose this friendship rather than let you live a lie. So I'm going to speak truth to you. Lastly, real quick, and then I need to get to transparency is the fourth. Friends are transparent with each other. In other words, they let you in. They don't wear masks. They don't pretend. They don't front. True friend is someone who says to you, I'm just going to speak here. Misty, can I talk to you? True friend is someone who says, hey, Misty, here's how I'm using my sexuality. Hey, Misty, here's how I'm spending my money. Hey, Misty, here's something nobody knows about, but I'm in debt. Hey, Misty, here's what I do with my time. I play video games like three hours a day. By the way, this is hypothetical. Your pastor doesn't play video games three hours it's, not, it's okay to play video. See, I'm, I'm just going to stop. I'm just because I, I just... Focus, Peter. Focus. I'm coming. You know why I just did that? Because the three areas that you guys thought were friends, but your friends have no idea about, they don't know what you do with your sexuality. They don't know how you spend your money. They don't know what you do with your time. And you think they're your friends? And you're their friend? true friend is someone who's transparent. Not only that, but do you know what else they do? They don't just go, so I'm going to be vulnerable. (laughs) They deputize you to go, so you know what? Speak truth to me. You give them permission. True friends get, so so when they come and go, hey, 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 why you, why you sleep? You don't know me. Don't tell, no, no. You've given them permission to go, speak truth. So I follow the way of Jesus. Tell me what's wrong with me. Tell me how I can do better. And when you do confront me, I'm not going to say, I'm out of here. I'm not going to say, how dare you? No, I will give you, I will give you permission. I will create a zone of safety for you to speak truth into my life because it is the only way that I can grow. And here's what else friends do. You know what else friends do? They're also transparent about their decision making. Here's what the difference between a companion or a user and a friend is. A user says, we hang out, we socialize, go for drinks, we eat. But when it comes to decisions, nobody tells me what to do. 
I'm going to do this on my own. I'm not going to consult anybody. Oh, by the way, I'll let you in once I made it. But before, why? Because I don't care truly about your input. I love the fact that we have fun. I love the fact that we hang out. I love... I can't even justify that in scripture. How do you justify making decisions in and by of yourself without extending that to your community? Extending that to beyond just God and you. Do you let people in on the decisions you make? Are there friends that you go, here's what I'm thinking. Before I do it, what do you think? Transparency. Speak truth and love. Empathy. Constancy. Here's a fourth question, and I'm almost done. <laughs> Are you a good friend? See, something's happening right now. If you're paying attention, you're with me. Something's happening right now. That is, you're, you're being both encouraged, but also being crushed, because you're like, I'm not that. I'm not that. I'm not that. I'm not that. And church, so here we are. See, so you can come on out. Here's what we have to wrestle with. Jamie, here's what we have to wrestle with. You ready? What we have to wrestle with is this hard heart truth, right? Which is, do you know why we don't have more friends like this? We don't have the kind of friends that our hearts need because we're not being the kinds of friends we need to be. We don't have the kind of friends our hearts need. How many of us would even sit here and go, I don't need that. I don't need. We don't have the kind of friends that our hearts need because we are not being the kind of friends that we need to be. We're not getting this stuff because we're not giving it. How transparent are you with your friends? How transparent are you about your sexuality, about your time, about your money with your friends. How transparent are you and you expect someone? How vulnerable are you? How emotionally invested are you? How well do you do in speaking the truth and love? How committed are you? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? We don't have the kinds of friends that our hearts and our souls need because we're not being the kinds of friends we need to be. Why do we sit here and go, wow, I wish I had more of these friends? You're not being that friend to somebody. You're not being that friend to those people around you. That's why we don't have it. So what do we do? Try hard. No, we don't just say try hard. I'd walk out of here crying if someone said just try harder. I'd go, no, you, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? You need what? Say it with me. You need the gospel. You need the gospel because Jesus is one of the last words. John 15, 12. Love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made to you. You ever been betrayed by a friend? 
You ever, been, you ever been stabbed in the back by a friend? How do you respond? What do I do? Do you know what the essence of the gospel is? Creator God creates us, walks with us for friendship, perfect communion. He gives us paradise. And what did we do? We betrayed him. Ultimate act of betrayal. But what does he do? What does God do? Why is Jesus on the cross? Why is he hanging on the cross? He is hanging on the cross to say, I am the ultimate friend who knows you to your depths, knows even the darkest of dark stuff, but I'm not going anywhere. Is that good news to anybody? Why is he hanging on the cross? He's hanging on the cross because even through the ultimate act of betrayal, even though we're not committed, we're not empathetic, and God knows we're not transparent, he says what? I am the ultimate friend whose wounds are wounds of love because instead of inflicting them on us, he takes it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's praying, God the Father literally comes to Jesus and says, you could either go to hell or you could lose your friends. Choose. And they're sleeping and letting him down. What does he do? He says what? I gladly go to hell. The ultimate friend. Do you know why you need that and why I need that? Because the gospel is the only thing that will help me to become the friend that I need to be, which will paradoxically make me the kind of, which will paradoxically invite the kinds of friends that I need to have. What do I mean? How do I become more transparent with you? How do I become more transparent with you? The only way I could become more transparent with anybody to be fully known is if I know that I have the assurance of my heavenly father that says, I know there is everything to know about you, Peter. I know what you did last night. I know what you plan to do tomorrow. And yet, I am covenant love committed to you. And I love you. Is that good news? How else can you and I possibly be transparent with another human being unless we are absolutely awash and melted by the love of our Heavenly Father? How? I don't know. How in the world can you move out into relationship Without the attitude of, can, what can I get from you? What can you get from me? How do you go about relationship without this cost benefit? How do you go about relationship saying, it's not about what I gain from you? How do you do that? The only way you can do that is if you know, I don't need this relationship. I'm not here to get. I have the eternal love of the Father. And I'm a wash in that. And I love you, and I'm committed to you, and I'm here for you. Not because I need something. It's... <sighs> the only way you and I could have the kinds of friends we need to have is first and foremost, be the kind of friends we need to be. And there's no way, no human possible way we could be the kind of friends we need to be unless we go deeper and drill deeper and deeper into the gospel that comes along and says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friend. And greater love has no one than this, that a friend laid down his life for another. What else could possibly give you the motivation and the courage to move out into the world.
What is going to give you the courage to have the phone calls this week and go, will you do this with me? Of course it's scary to go. What if they say no? Of course it's scary to go. What if they don't want it? Of course. How will you get over that is to go. He loves me unconditionally. He laid down his life for me. His act was the ultimate act of love. And he's going to make sure I don't go to ruin. That's how. Who are the four people in your life that will carry you? Pray with me. My brother, my sister, child of God. I know it could be utterly overwhelming if you are that person sitting here and saying, Peter, I've got a bunch of companions. I've got a bunch of pseudo friends. But this, sacred companions... I want to make it as simple as possible if I can dare say that. Begin here. Begin here. Begin here doing two things before you walk out of here. One, ask yourself if you are drilling the truths of the gospel down into your heart every second, every moment, every day of your life. Are you drilling down into your heart, into your soul, in a culture with so many lies about what real relationships are? Are you, are you, are you being awash in the truth of the gospel of the one who says, greater love has no one than this, that a friend laid down his life for another, that he did that for you. He became vulnerable for you. He became transparent. He became committed. To you. And then, secondly, the question we walk out here today is who can I be this kind of a friend to? And specifically, pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to you in this moment and give you, literally speak to you about who you need to have a conversation with this week, about inviting into your life to be your sacred companion. So first, drilling thou the gospel be the kind of friend you need to be. And then secondly, ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom to speak to you. And I know, and I'm going to pray in a little bit, you're going to have some hard conversations, some of you this week, because there's some friends, honestly, you don't need to have them as friends. They can be your companions. 
but you're spending way much, way too much time. Who are these people that can go on this journey with you? Who are they? And you're going to need boldness and courage and humility and love to truthfully speak to them. So, Father, we listen, Holy Spirit. Speak to me, speak to my friends, my brothers and sisters. What would you have us do? What's our next step? I pray for those hard conversations. I pray for those painful, gut-wrenching conversations that some of us will have this week, God. As we invite some folks to go on this journey with us, knowing that there will be rejection, knowing that there will be confusion, knowing that there will be misunderstanding, I pray for clarity, I pray for boldness, I pray for courage, and I pray for willingness, God, and a desire to please you more than to please man to have these conversations and that they would be filled with the presence of your spirit and they would be anointed if I could dare pray that. 